It is written my people suffer, not for lack of money or love or the ability to acquire things, but for lack of knowledge. And as the Negro, as the black and the so-called African-American, we have fought for so long trying to abate the systematic killing of our people by this government. That is the killing of the original peoples of the Americas. Now, this fight has gone on for so long, more than a century. And now the systematic killing of our people is in escalation because the documented and undocumented ethnic white Mexican and Latino proclaim their heritage to this continent and their identities through the genocide of our people. But the African-Americans without question have decided to fight for their rights to do so. Of course, our approach to abate the killings of our people has always been under the socially constructed identities of the system's nomenclature and taxonomic classifications. So I'm asking you, the so-called African-American and the America's Aboriginal listener, how's that working for us? Because at any given time, if I ask the so-called black and African-American activists about the plight of our people, they will tell you unequivocally, the struggle continues. Great rising, my people. I am your host, Clan Mama D, and it's time to talk about it. I created a podcast series with the desire to expand our knowledge on genocide, and I chose this topic specific to the outright war the Mexican and Latinos of the ethnic white persuasion have waged against the original people of America, AKA the so-called African-American. And uh, at the time that I chose this topic, no one was talking about it. But now that I have noticed that some are beginning to. So um, I think that is a good thing. So in my intro podcast two, I posted some links for you to investigate this genocidal movement for yourself. And I also asked you to tell me what you think and you did, but I got to tell you, I was overwhelmed, not by the number of responses, but the responses themselves. I had no idea how deep the course of Pan-Africanism runs through the minds of our people. I mean, the so-called African-Americans are so very Pan-Africanized. They can't, well, they won't consider those of us who have found our ancestral bloodline here on this continent to have the right to self-identify. They were blatant in their verbal opposition to our continental inheritance. And I sadly realized that they don't see us as their brothers and sisters based on their responses. They made me think twice about Pan-Africanism because their responses were so reactionary, appendage to the word of the Jewish and white historians operating on their tongue like the religious congregants whose pastors reinforced the Bible by referencing the Bible to prove the Bible. And that is just freaking ludicrous. 
for some reason, they don't even have the mindset to consider or research their own position and let their God forbid that they would consider our researched position. You know what I think? I think they've lost their freaking minds and also the first law of nature to self-preserve because they choose other nations over themselves and communities every time the opportunity to choose arise. Now, we have all seen this scenario many times in movies and TV where the black man gladly sacrifices himself and his family to save the white man and his woman and even his dog. Anyway, I did promise to share some responses with you. Now, I was uh, a phone guest on Black in the Day in the 313. It is a talk show out of Detroit. I'm going to admit, I asked Dr. Kafense Chike, uh, the host of the show, to allow me to come on as a guest, talk specifically about the war that Mexican Latino people have waged against our people as genocide. And I figured this might be a good platform to bring awareness about the outward hate the ethnic white Mexican and Latino people have for us and also bring out their verbal declaration to kill our people out in the open. But once I was on the show, I felt I was met with great resistance by the host and a bit of hostility. Um, and at the end, uh, a man called in to make a comment and his response was very revealing to my very point that some of us have clearly lost that innate first law of nature to self-preserve. He wanted to make it clear, first of all, that he is African and he had more concern for the rights of Mexican children to exist under DACA. He dismissed the real purpose for my call, which was that we must come together to protect our very own. I mean, this man clearly loves the them versus us ideology. But since then, that TV segment has been removed and I did notice a recent post on their Facebook site revealing the uh, Mexican war against our people uh, to their listeners. And so I'll chalk that up as a win because at least it caused them to take notice of what is really happening and to share it with their audience. But now let me play the response of a young woman caller who comprehends the purpose for my intro podcast too. Take a listen. I'm calling to leave a commentary with regards to the article about, you know, the Mexicans are killing the original, the Amoridians of this country. I am not surprised. You know, this government you know, talks about getting these people out of here, but they continuously bring them over for the cheap labor, labor, and they get over here and think that they can run, you know, run over us talking about, oh, we built this. Y'all ain't built nothing. This is not even your land. Y'all are just some product of some Mongolian Spanish conquistadors. That's all it is. I said, one thing I can agree with Trump, send them back. Send, send these Mexican people back to their country, and then the United States needs to stay out of other countries messing up their economy so these people want to come here or messing up their environment. You know, it's like the nerve of them to think that they can come here 
and do what they have done to our people with the firebombings, the shootings, and it's like if it wasn't for us fighting all the years we fought for civil rights, they wouldn't have any rights at all. And that's just about all that I have to say. First of all, let me say that I appreciate this young woman because one, she has done the research and two, she is unapologetic for knowing the facts of who she is and who they are, which is what I would expect from any educated African-American descendant of slaves who claim that they are African descent. I mean, pan-African descendants of slaves who respond like the older ones really caused me to wonder if pan-Africanism isn't a precursor to genocide. I mean, let me be clear. I'm not saying that there were no Africans transported to the Americas, but I am saying that the body count that white Jewish historians claim to have come via this middle passage has been disproven, including the ship size, the cargo, and the passenger capacity. I mean, come on, people. You have got to bone up on your reading, especially on the new news about you. You know, um, this makes me a little curious about the mindset of a Pan-Africanist. I mean, how can they celebrate those who identify as Arab-American, Asian-American, and uh, Mexican-American? Those who have been given carte blanche to set their proverbial economic flag on the corner of every so-called African-American neighborhood. They sell their defective products, their stale and rotten goods in their liquor and grocery stores to our children and our families. And they will charge you extra if you don't spend at least $5. They disrespect our women, attack us, call the police on us, and kill us at will. And some even sell drugs out of their stores. All of this is a component to systematic genocide. But let their God forbid that we, the original people of the Americas, are celebrating our rise to consciousness, where our findings prove that we have been held hostage in the basement of our very own home, and that we have the audacity to come upstairs, tell the three bears that's been eating our porridge and sleeping in our bed that they got to get the fuck out and go home. But I'm going to be honest. My cousin Randy Red Cloud warned me. Aboriginal activists warn me. Those who have been cast out of the African-American circle express their concern that African-American activists have a deep resentment in their hearts for us and that they would turn on me. And in fact, they did. And this gives me another opportunity to share a social media response from a pan-Africanist who went to Africa and was given an African name which I think is, is pretty cool. And I have also known him for quite some time. So his responses were a joke to me, but here's what he wrote. Quote, here's how I feel. We have it in our power to change our condition almost overnight if we only believe it and if we only exercise it, unquote. Okay, so I'm going to stop there because that part of this statement sounds religious to me. It seems that this man clearly thinks our power and freedom rests in the exercise of a belief system. 
sort of like faith without works is dead. Okay, well, he goes on to say, quote, I'm not going to waste my time with any more Afrophobes, unquote. And then he describes what an Afrophobe is. Quote, those that want to pretend they don't come from Africa and that they were here all along because they hate Africa and they hate themselves. And those that spend their time criticizing their people more than contributing to the liberation of their people. And those that have a deep-seated lust for miscegenation and are not so secretly expressing their jungle fever on fucking quote. <laughs> so now this brother not only claims his African heritage, but takes it upon himself to speak for all Africans. So I'm going to ask, do all Africans feel the same as pan-African descendants of slaves? I'd really like to know. Well, I will say at first it did hurt my feelings to be accused of jungle fever, but it is what it is. It's difficult for me to understand how they are so hostile to our findings and that we, the original people of the Americas, have decided to come out of the basement. So you know what? I'm going to chalk them up as basement dwellers and leave them where they are. Uh, I'm going to move on to... Uh, briefing the topic of genocide and then I will share some emails and recorded phone calls with you. At this juncture of our rise to consciousness, genocide has to become a major theme of discourse for us because of the persistent violence and criminal activities that have been perpetrated upon us in a myriad of ways and for many, many years. One thing for sure uh, in order to do this, we have got to learn to navigate this phenomenon through their spellbinding language because many words of the English language are used to cast a net to capture the minds of the original people. And we are now breaking free from that repetitive verbiage. So I want you to keep this in mind as we go beyond the basic knowledge and general conceptive ideas and discussions on genocide. I mean, it's no more shaking our heads in dismay and using colloquial sound bites such as senseless killing, because that term carries great implications of U.S. politicians who present this phrase to the media, who in turn present it to us to frame genocide as an insignificant and unrecognizable phenomenon under categorical murders. In fact, there's a caller who asks, um, how can we recognize it? Let me play this for you. Hello, this is Victor from the Bronx. I wanted to ask a question about the definition of genocide and whether or not it requires it to be enacted by the government to qualify as an act of genocide. Now, in an article by Daniel Giroux and Jennifer Edwards, um, they make the claim that classifying an event as genocide can be used to legitimate the claims of the survivors or as justification for reprisal against the perpetrators. I find this interesting because that's exactly what the United States did for the Jews they were allowed to classify their Holocaust as genocide in 1944. Also, as a part of the reprisal, the U.S. found and punished 
Germans that played a role in the uh, said event, which didn't even happen on this continent. In fact, um, it is called the Pursuit of Nazi Collaborators. Now, the pursuit took various forms. If an individual who reported they saw someone who they recognized or who had now assumed a false identity with the intent to slip back into civilization, that individual was named and sought by groups of governments for their crimes during the war. Uh, um, on October 1946, shortly after conclusion of the Nuremberg trials, executions took place. Ten prominent members of the political and military leaders of Nazi Germany were executed by hanging. Now, this is very interesting to me because the sentencing was carried out in the gymnasium of Nuremberg prison by the United States Army using the standard drop rule method of hanging. Now, it seems that the United States Army was commissioned to carry out their punishment. That I find very interesting. But I'm going to go ahead and talk about the Jewish motives. The first motive was to have a trial, find them guilty, and punish the traitors. The second motive, revenge for those killed, especially those killed on ethnic grounds in the Holocaust. And I, I'm, I find it interesting that they use the word revenge. Three, a desire after a bitter war to see those responsible face justice and be characterized as criminals under a court of law. Four, to ensure that the acts done were brought to light and placed on formal record with evidence so that they could never be denied. So this is why this is important to us because this Mexican and Latino gangs have confessed these acts. Therefore, it is unlawful to hide or change the act to keep it from being brought to light. It should be categorized as genocide and set to formal record. How do I know? Because the Jews have already set a precedent. We need to study that precedent and go by that precedent. This brings me to when I first began the research on this topic. Um, there was a news article in the LA Times where the leader of the gangs admitted their main reason for exterminating, and that was their word, our people is because they wanted to change the face of their neighborhood to look like them only. And since then, that article has been removed. I cannot find it anywhere. Now, the universe has afforded me a small article in the SPLC. And it talks about that war, uh, but on a smaller scale. It reveals something very important, which is that the documents I went back to find had been sealed away, which is why I couldn't find it. So I'm going to read this article because it still gives sufficient data. It reads, a Latino street gang in a small city in Los Angeles County waged a campaign of racist 
violence and intimidation that was designed to drive out the city's African-American residents. According to recently unsealed federal indictments of 147 members and associates of the Vario Hawaiian Gardens, uh, the Vario Hawaiian Gardens gang members take pride in their racism and often refer to their gang as the hate gang. Um, the indictment that was unsealed in many states show that members have expressed a desire to rid the city of Hawaiian Gardens of all African Americans. It goes on to say, let me read this part to you. The 2000 census, the most recent data available shows while Latinos make up 70, 73% of the city's 15,000 inhabitants, only 4% are now African American. Now, here's where the big question should come for African American descendants of slaves and the original people of the Americas who vote. Why haven't those who run for office and fight for open borders brought this war against our people to light. And why aren't these crimes against us placed on formal and open record? That's a big question we need to ask. <clears throat> now I'm going to read five, six, and seven of the Jewish motives to apprehend suspected collaborators. Five, to stop a widespread sense that wanton annihilation of whole communities and cultures on such a scale will be intolerable and it must not be left unpursued despite the inadequacy of existing laws. Six, for fear that an underground of some kind existed, which would allow the enemy to somehow regroup for their proclaimed leaders. Seven, political gain in the turbulent politics of the last 1940s and the commencement of the Cold War. That is their motive. What is our motive? They've set a precedence. We need to look at it. This is great information because it helps us understand how we can be effectively actionable uh, to identify genocide as an act of intent and to be afforded those same laws that the Jews have enacted because genocide is always based on the census of reasoning purpose and intent. That's what makes the case. It's according to the law. Now remember, and I want you to keep in mind, this podcast was created specific to two main acts. One, the Mexican war against us and two, the mislabeling of that war through nomenclature and taxonomy. But I, I want to, I think I want to laugh, but I, I think I want to add a third which is the possibility of Afrocentrism as genocide. Because as I see it, all three fall under uh, at least three of the legal definitions of genocide, according to the OSAPG, 
as well as the eight stages and patterns that exist as evidence that genocide is about to occur. Well, my people, we have reached the 30 minute mark for this segment. However, I am so glad we have the opportunity to talk about the propaganda language of Pan-African descendants of slaves as a precursor to genocide and their loss of the first law of nature. We also talked about a very important factor, which is that the Jews have already set a precedence for classifying the Mexican war against us as genocide. Now, don't forget, you can find the links that I promised you on the It's Time to Talk About It website. Just go to the Get Involved link, click on the pull down that says Genocide Documents, and there you will find the news articles in PDF form. I will upload the second genocide segment very soon, so don't forget to share, follow me, and click the like button on the website and the podcast site. Oh, and by the way, I will create an appendage podcast with a few more of the unread and unheard recorded responses, and I think you will find them interesting and certainly enlightening. But before I bring this podcast to a close, I want to invite you to engage with me as always and join the conversation. It's time to voice your thoughts and address the real concerns of this matter, because as always, this topic is up for discussion. Um, to do this, you can leave a response on the website at it's time to talk about it.com or by email at it's time to talk about it mail at gmail.com. Or if you are listening on the Anchor Podcast site, you can leave a recorded message there. You may also create a recorded response by phone message at 734 743 1708. And once you have done so, I will choose and use several responses for sharing on the next Genocide Podcast. So, my people, get involved because we are our own solution. Thank you so much for listening. This is Clan Mama D looking forward and be free. Be free.